This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. Well, you know you're listening to Talk Rope Nation. You might know I'm Jim Ross, the voice of AEW, and we're glad you're with us. We're going to have one hell of a podcast. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah. Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it. It's the best thing going today. Hope you guys had a great Father's Day weekend. It's Monday morning. We're back to talk a little more pro wrestling with you. It's Top Rope Nation episode 152. My name's Ryan Drosty of comicbook.com. I've got Justin Joint and Kyle Ross on the line. And I think what we're going to do today is kind of continue the discussion that we had on Thursday's show. And that kind of revolves around the changes in WWE creative recently with uh, Paul Heyman's exit and Bruce Pritchard taken over, as well as another major issue that we think is plaguing WWE these days. And so when we left off on the Thursday show, you know, we were talking. <laughs> Can I just bring something up? Yeah, go ahead. Justin belching right before you hit record was so <laughs> tremendous. And no one will get to live that except the three of us. Well, you know, that shows the professionalism here on this podcast. That, like, Justin lets out this massive belch and I go right into the opening. Yeah, you, I mean, you just weren't even like phased by it. We're like, Fuck it, we're on. Here we go. I just belched. Yeah. I just belched. Doesn't matter to me. It's the new ring bell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. What a weekend, guys. Don't Father's Day. Any ideas, please. I, I hope you guys yesterday, you know, got a lot of relaxation in, watched some classic pro wrestling, had a few beers. We're ready to talk pro wrestling and, and continue this discussion from Thursday. And as the show ended on Thursday, we were talking about Paul Heyman and, uh, you know, the stars that he had elevated or not succeeded in elevating since he took over on Raw. And, um, you know, I think we teased that the the big topic today was going to be the uh, mythology of Paul Heyman, maybe how he wasn't the best person for that role. And with that, Kyle, I think I'm going to let you introduce this topic. Okay, so this is strictly me talking here. Let's stress that for the record. I could probably make an argument that Paul Heyman has not really been a great week-to-week booker since early 1997 in his time at ECW. Like, the build to the first pay-per-view, barely legal. 
And maybe even after that, like I loved the Jerry Lawler debut in ECW. Like I thought that was like, I mean, I remember watching that for the first time and I was like shadow boxing in the air, like a complete tool. But um, I thought that was awesome. <laughs> I can totally envision that. And that makes yeah, that like, story I, even I remember, better. Dude, I remember <laughs> just like seeing that for the first time. Like this may be the greatest thing in the history of professional wrestling. <laughs> but I mean, that reaction Jerry Lawler drew in that building. Followed by the, this bingo hall ought to be covered in toilet paper because it's made out of nothing but shit. <laughs> that was is so one of the most incredible moments <laughs> yes. in the history of this business. Oh. Um, so I know that some people are going to disagree and get real mad about that. So let me expound. And you guys can, maybe you guys think I'm out to lunch and you can tell me I'm full of shit. I welcome that. But Heyman's got a great eye for talent. There's no disputing that. You go through the years. Um, even before he's with WWE, but we'll just focus on his time with WWE. He's always advocated for, I think, the kind of performer that hardcore wrestling fans want to see get pushed more, right? Yeah. He's kind of the one who bangs the drum for the under-push guy. Hey, why aren't you looking at this guy more? This guy needs to be featured more. And the consensus, at least online, is Paul's right. Correct? That kind of mm-hmm. seems to be a narrative surrounding Heyman. Yeah. Okay. At the same time, Heyman's booking in 2001, 2002, we can go back to, it resulted in a lot of high-end matches, particularly the SmackDown 6. We all remember that. But it's not like those high-end matches put the WWE necessarily in a better place or those guys became bigger stars. He gave them pushes. And they became anchors of the mid-card. But, unfortunately, all those guys got hurt, if you remember. I mean, like, the SmackDown 6, like, everybody was, like, had, like, a horrible neck injury by the time that period was done, virtually. Um, And when he was removed from SmackDown in 03, it's not like that brand was in a great place, if you recall. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe me, check out the back issues that Meltzer's putting up right now on The Observer. Which, by the way, are great. Do you guys ever read those? I mean, I was subscribing at the time. I read them at the oh. time. In, in fact, in fact, Justin Joint read them at the time too because we were working a part-time job together around that era, <laughs> and I used to bring them in to to read during break time. But I haven't, I have not read, I haven't read them recently. No, I haven't read the back issues going up right now. I mean, the stuff he's been writing on like how WWE screwed up Goldberg the first time is just like really good stuff. Yeah. It's also depressing how many people died during that time. Period. Oh. Depressing. It's true. It seemed like almost every other week he was writing an obituary. Just depressing, you know, in an odd way. That's some of Dave's best writing is when he does the when he does the looks the look backs at the careers of people that pass away and the observer. Those are always such good reads. But of course, you know, the part that we're talking about someone dying isn't good. But he he does a great job looking back at uh, people's careers, and that was happening. All too often around the yeah, that 2002, 2003 era for sure. Pardon me. I just, uh, you know, I want to get your guys' takes on Heyman. But um, I want to point out in the most recent back issue that was pushed, this is completely random. It has nothing to do with this show. Uh, you talk about obituaries. If you've never read it, Dave's obituary on Zane Bresloff is like so good. Mm-hmm. He was if the promoter where he got the uh, WrestleMania three attendance from, right? 
Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he moved and was obviously um, worked very closely under Eric Bischoff in WCW. Yeah. He, and, and completely uh, revived their uh, dead house show business uh, at the time when he when he came over there. But if that's a name that doesn't mean anything to you, please, and, and you subscribe uh, to that website, go over there and check that back issue. And I read it last night and it, you know, I, I'd read it before, I think, but man, it was just really good stuff. Oh yeah. I, I remember reading that one is, you know, 17 years ago. I haven't read it since, but I, I do recall no that was really good. It was at the time. Yeah. I, I only knew him because he was the guy that um, gave Meltzer the info that 93,000 people weren't really in the silver dome, that the number was, you know, 78,000, that he was the promoter in that area at the time. That, that was the only thing I ever knew of his name from. And, uh, but yeah, the guy had a really interesting life and career around wrestling. So yeah, if you're a subscriber to the observer, check out that back issue for sure. But what do you think about Heyman's like, like if you look back at him, not just this run, but you look back at him, what do you think of like the SmackDown six? You remember all these good matches, but do you remember the builds? Were there any builds? Where did it lead us to? Am mm. I off here? You want you want to take this one first, Justin, or you want me to go? I, I mean, that that was during that time. I, I was slowly on my way out on wrestling. That would last, you know, I think like five five six years. Um, and I'm not saying that that's part of it, but. I, I get, it just really goes to show that he's just good at finding the guys who can go in the ring and then just unleashing them. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, uh, you know, unless they're all coked up backstage and going out in front of everybody, you know, they might not be able to put on a show. You know, for those for those that don't know what we're talking about, the SmackDown 6 at the time, the people that were being pushed a lot by Heyman was – of course, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, um, Chavo Guerrero, Kurt Angle, Rey Mysterio, and Edge. And uh, I think to Kyle's point, you know, you, you you look at those names and a lot of them were elevated and became stars during that period. I think if you look at those names in particular, it'd be Eddie, you know, because Angle was already a star. Mysterio was a pretty big star before that era when, when Heyman was in charge on SmackDown. Um, Edge coming out of... His time with Christian and the tag team, I, I think Guerrero has to be seen as the biggest success. But yeah, when you look at those names, I guess for me, the story. Yeah, you're, you're right, Kyle. The storylines don't really stand out. It's that they had some great matches. They became kind of Internet darlings, I guess you could say, during that time period. And they had some really good matches that came with a tremendous cost, as you said. Um but the storylines just really aren't as memorable, and that's uh, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I mean, for those who didn't live it or haven't seen it for some reason, I mean, there was about a two-month span in the fall of 02 on SmackDown where every week it seemed we got this blowaway match. Or sometimes there was, like, two really good matches. It wasn't, like, one blowaway, but two really good ones. Mm. But, I mean, man, the injuries piled up. I was listening to Between the Sheets the other week, and they did a review. This is a match that, like, no one talks about. Ever. And it's like sad because it was like one of the best matches of that era. Do you remember the, the TLC they did with Benoit and Jericho? Yeah. 
like it was the SmackDown after Benoit and Jericho beat Austin and Triple H and what, you know, I think a lot of people regard as the best Raw match in history. May so was, 01. Know, yeah, it was like May of This was May of 01. Mm. And Heyman was very much the guy who got Benoit and Jericho in that spot. If you remember, um, the Austin heel turn was a disaster. And there was this horrible feud with the two-man power trip against Undertaker and Kane. And, like, business did one of the all-time, like, one-month sinks. Yeah. You know, that, that was the first year that business sank after WrestleMania. Now we take that for granted. It didn't happen from 96 to 2000. Yeah. So, but, like, and then so Heyman gets Benoit and Jericho in that spot. And, you know, they have that great match on Raw. And then, like, just... On no notice, they do this TLC match. I forgot how insane that match was. I mean, these guys were tattooing each other with chairs. Mm. And my point is, again, it's like really, it's like an awesome match. I mean, it, I would put that up against either of the two famous TLCs from SummerSlam 2000 or WrestleMania 17. I really would. I mean, it's insane. But, you know, I mean, Benoit, Benoit was, yeah, had to, you know, <laughs> Take a lot of time off after that. Mm-hmm. I mean, guys got hurt with that style. So, look, Paul, I think, is a great identifier of talent. We can all agree with that. But in terms of a week-to-week booker, outside of, hey, I'm going to put two talented guys in the ring, I don't know, man. I'm not sure he lives up to his vaunted reputation. That match, by the way, I just looked it up. Uh, four and three-quarter stars in The Observer, May 24th. Or May, yeah, it aired May twenty fourth, taped May twenty second, two thousand and one. The uh, the TLC from that SmackDown. Yeah, I mean it's insane. People yeah. need to watch the match. It's yeah. very you watch it, and sometimes they, especially some of the bumps Benoit takes. That's not a fun watch. In retrospect, yeah, certainly. Um, so so yeah, his uh, his reputation though, like. Like I said, and we had talked about this on Thursday, Paul definitely has this reputation among hardcore wrestling fans as, you know, kind of this mad genius in the world of pro wrestling. I I guess we're kind of pushing back against that, at least storyline-wise. He does, he has an eye for talent, no doubt about it. And I think when you look at the talent that he's pushed on Raw, they are the types of people who, you know, wrestling fans that would listen to a podcast such as ours, they're, they're the types of talent that we would like to see pushed. But the idea is, does he come up with the storylines to uh, to firmly establish them as, you know, top-level talent moving forward? And I think there had been some discussion, Kyle, behind the scenes that maybe Heyman's reputation wasn't as sterling after all. Yeah, I, I can tell you that there's a lot, a lot of people within WWE that don't think Heyman's creative in 2020 lives up to that bonded reputation I spoke of. That, you know he would bring up old successful angles that he'd done, but it wasn't like in a teaching sense, like, Hey, I did this way back when, and this is how it worked, why it worked. It was kind of like, you know, like the old Chris Farley skit from SNL. Like, Oh, wasn't that awesome? Or what? Well, like <laughs> Chris, what Farley was that show? like the yeah. thing he did with Paul McCartney. Remember, <laughs> you remember that? You like, remember, uh, you remember when you were in the Beatles and there was like Beatlemania? That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> you remember uh, Beatlemania? <laughs> Where those four guys, they dressed, uh, I went on stage and they looked like you and and then they played Beatles songs and, and yeah, I heard about that. 
That was awesome. <laughs> like, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, remember, like, you know, like, this thing from 95, that was awesome, right? And then, like, you know, like, these, like, other W boys, like, yeah, it was awesome, I remember it, but I got a TV show to write, and, you know, I don't think, you know, like, this is that productive. So, um, <laughs> that's kind of a thing with Heyman, where people are like, yeah, okay, you did this sweet stuff in the past, but, you know, we kind of need something now. Um, and there's people who think Heyman has never gotten over ECW closing up shop. And that goes back to a comment Vince McMahon, you know, I heard that and I was reminded of Vince McMahon, something he said on that rise and fall of ECW DVD. Do you guys remember? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was like one of the best area. DVDs they ever released. Yeah, it was. But Vince is like, you know, when he, if you ask Paul, he would rather be wish that he was running ECW still and not working for me. Mm-hmm. And that was like a very like I thought that was like a very shocking assessment by Vince that you wouldn't expect him to say something like that. Yeah, but it's true, probably. And, you know, there's just I think there's people who think like, you know, Paul, he got the book for Raw this time and he was kind of like out to, you know, show that he knew best and in a large corporation, and I'm not standing for the way the WWE does its creative, by the way. I think there's a lot of problems with it. Um, you, you hear stories that Chris Jericho told on his podcast about uh, when he hit Orange Cassidy with the oranges on AEW. You guys saw it was like two weeks ago now at this point. Mm. Okay. He said, he's like, yeah, I came up with that the day of, and I brought it up to Tony Khan, and Tony Khan approved it in 10 minutes. Hmm. That would never happen in WWE. Like no. they would like argue for hours over like what oranges to use or get the oranges from. <laughs> so again, I'm not taking WWE side necessarily on all these things. I'm just telling you like, and from what I watched on raw, I kind of agree that Heyman's creative. Yes. He's done some tremendous things in the past. Yes. He has a great eye for talent. I just don't think Monday night raw was that good. And that ultimately along with the communication issues, you know, if raw was really good, people are going to look past the communication issues. They're like, Oh, this guy's churning out great TV. I, I, if he's hard to deal with, you know, so be it. Mm-hmm. But I think when you combine those two things, the fact the show wasn't that good and he was difficult to work with, I mean, it's not a surprise that he got 86. Yeah. So is, is, is the big takeaway from this, considering Heyman's reputation, I think considering what maybe a lot of people expected, you know, when they gave him that position, it, does kind of creative minds in wrestling have – pretty kind of short shelf life. Hmm. Interesting point. Yeah. That is a really good question. You're right. For every like great mind there's been, he's kind of like those great minds always kind of hit a wall and it's just like, it's not there anymore. Right. Um, You look at Dusty Rhodes for Crockett and how awesome they were. 85, certainly 86 and like the first half of 87. And then he, all of a sudden things weren't very good anymore. And he was killing them in by 88. And Dusty's considered one of the great bookers. Now, Dusty was, is, I think, considered by most who worked with him uh, behind the season NXT to be very good. So he kind of like was able to have a bit of a rebirth on a small scale. But I'm trying to think of a guy who had a great booking run, burned out in it. And then had another great booking run. I'm not so sure that exists. 
like on a big time level, I don't know if it has. And people who are listening to this and have the advantage of pausing the show and looking things up are going to skewer us. But no one really comes to mind. Like, you know, I always go back to Bill Watts. You know, everyone was just like, you know, falling all over themselves when he got brought into WCW in 92. And he was horrible. Oh, God. Yeah. Holy freaking killed Sting and the Steiners dead in like three weeks. Your top two baby face acts. That's a great way to start a booking tenure. <laughs> um, I mean, it just seems like the, the, the best outputs or the, you know, the most memorable two to three year spans of wrestling. It, it almost just comes down to a, a, a perfect storm of, you know, the talent that was involved uh, the creative and, you know, where the fan base was at that point in time, you know, that yeah. creates. Yeah. I think there's the burnout issue too. I think to be a great wrestling booker, well, it's like all you do is think pro wrestling, <laughs> you know, like all the time and they can have a great run for a few years, but it's literally all they think of. It's all they do. It's all they're talking about. And then they just burn out and maybe they just don't want to, I guess subconsciously go back to that type of a lifestyle. And not only that, I think it's, I think there's a bad habit of basically once you have one success from there on out, you're just writing sequels. So we're, we're just getting like jaws 3d at hmm. some point. Hmm. That's a really interesting point. That's very true. I think. Yeah. And let's not forget um, a couple things we talked about on Thursday, or at least one thing we talked about on Thursday, is that this isn't just a old school Booker position that Paul had. There were other demands of him in the corporate hierarchy. So that makes it even harder. And then three hour raw. I mean, look, I'm going to tell you this right now, flat out. If you went to the WWE offices right now and asked every single person in that building, uh, off the record. Okay, you, you could be like, hey, I know you guys get a great TV contract because of it, but is like th a three-hour TV show really conducive to being, you know, good in terms of the creative process? Every single person will tell you no. Mm -hmm. No one thinks that three hours is good uh, in a creative sense for Monday Night Raw. Vince McMahon doesn't think it. Yeah, There's no way he does. They just, I mean, it's one of those things that you can get a lot of money from a network by being a live three-hour show, and that's what you sacrifice, I get. But it's really hard. I think John Pollock wrote about it, that, you know, no matter who's in this position, you're fighting that battle. I mean, how are you uh, putting a three-hour weekly show together? Yeah. You know, under this stress of working for Vince McMahon, very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So in the next segment, we're going to talk about why Bruce Pritchard, you know, might actually be better suited for this role than Paul Heyman was. But before we get to that, let's do a little housekeeping. Let's let's talk about the show and where you can find us. So as always, we are members of the Blue Wire Podcasting Network. Check out BlueWirePods.com for all of your podcasting needs whether it is sports, the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, MLB, movies, entertainment, they have the show for you. Check out BlueWirePods.com. And also, as far as Top Rope Nation goes, wherever you are listening to the show, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, 
iHeartRadio, TopRopeNation.com, Podbean. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a rating, leave us a written review over on Apple Podcasts. I announced this a couple of weeks ago now. When we get to 100 ratings on Apple Podcasts, we're going to be giving away a Top Rope Nation gift pack on, on the air to one lucky listener. We'll mail it to you free of charge, but we got to get to 100 ratings first. So here's what you need to do. If you have an iPhone or if you have iTunes on your computer, search Top Rope Nation. Even if you don't listen to us through Apple Podcasts, you can do this. Search Top Rope Nation, scroll to the bottom of our show page, Click that five stars. That's it. It will add to the total. I think we're around 70 ratings right now. When we get to 100, we'll be giving away that free prize pack. And also, while you're there, if you want to leave us a written review, even better. You know, leave us a couple sentences, leave us a paragraph, whatever you want to do. When you when you leave us that written review, leave your Twitter username or your Instagram username so we can get a hold of you. Because if you do we will send you a free Top Rope Nation sticker in the mail. But you got to leave us that username so we can get a hold of you so we know where to send the sticker. I just, I actually just sent out one the other day to a longtime listener of Top Rope Nation. That would be Nicole in New Jersey. She got her free Top Rope Nation sticker in the mail. You can do the same by just leaving us a written review over on Apple. And, of course, if you want more podcasts from us, and more bonus content. Go on over to patreon.com slash Nation. Become a patron of the show. You get all kinds of bonus content. You get exclusive podcasts. You get a free gift in the mail for subscribing. You get our show notes each and every week. This week, we have a brand new edition of Top Rope Nation Classics dropping on Patreon. There, there will be a... Uh, in the first 15 to 20 minutes, I will post here on our usual podcast feed... And then uh, the full show will only be available on patreon.com slash Nation. We're going to be reviewing WWF King of the Ring 93. We've done a ton of these shows in the past. We've looked back at shows like Super Brawl 2, SummerSlam 97, uh, the first Raw to beat Nitro in the ratings after the 83-week streak where WCW was winning the ratings war on Monday nights. We got almost 20 bonus shows in the archives on our Patreon page, and the only way you can listen to those is by signing up to become a patron. So check it out, patreon.com slash Nation. And with that said, one more shout-out to our exclusive partners over at BetOnline. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag, use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Come on, you Spurs! <laughs> you can even bet on pro wrestling over on BetOnline. So guys, if you're listening to this podcast... Get bet on pro wrestling. Check it out. BetOnline.ag. 
So with that said, Bruce Pritchard has kind of taken the reins backstage. And uh, Mr. Ross, why why do you think Bruce might be a uh, better person for this role moving forward? Betting on Bruce, huh? Bruce Pritchard. Can you believe it that this guy has got his way back? (laughs) This guy's running the shot on both. Uh, is, is calling the shots for both TV shows. What a beauty Bruce is. Um, okay, so this might be controversial, but I think it's worth a discussion. There is an argument to me that Bruce is better for the position compared to Heyman from the WWE's perspective. Ryan Drosty of comicbook.com, perhaps <laughs> you can answer me this question. Who owns the world uh, WWE? Well, Vince McMahon owns the uh, majority stake, but there's also some stockholders as well. Okay. It's still Vince McMahon's (laughs) company, right? Yes. (laughs) Okay. So it has been said behind the scenes, I can tell you, that the real positive of having Bruce back, and how long has Bruce been back? I can't remember. It's been over a year, right? Um, But the key positive is that he, quote unquote, understands Vince better than anyone else. Got to remember Vince, you know, he's been around for a while. His writing staff, maybe they're intimidated by him. There's obviously a large age gap. Maybe they don't know how to sell Vince on certain ideas. Bruce kind of bridges that gap. That's what you're going to hear. That's the strength of working with Bruce. Bruce knows what Vince wants. Will he take the kind of chances a Paul Heyman might? No. But he's also more likely at being successful at getting something through without having to like be very difficult to work with as we discussed earlier mm-hmm. with Heyman. So um, like this is me speaking. I think a big issue with the WWE creative process is too many cooks in the kitchen, right? There's too many competing visions. Um, you can have a great idea from the writing team. But if Vince doesn't like it, it's going to get watered down or just not happen. And, you know, that idea might you might see it on TV for a couple of weeks. Oh, I can see they're going somewhere. I can see there. And then all of a sudden Vince kind of gets like, no, I don't like this at all. And he just kills it, chops it off. Right. Mm-hmm. We talked about this with certain talent. You could do it with an angle. Well, it doesn't benefit the company, really, to have that happen all the time. I think and I don't work in corporate America. I work for myself. So maybe. Um, someone can correct me if I'm wrong. You know, it's always said there's like a top-down approach in the corporate world, right? You you want people, maybe they have different ideas and they can carry it out in a better way, but they kind of want to have to, they kind of need to share that same vision as Vince. And to me, having that more like-minded approach with Bruce uh, in creative, it should theoretically lead to a more consistent product, although not necessarily a better one. From wrestling fans' perspective, I just think that if there's more, you need more synergy in that creative process. Do you not? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, in the end, what Vince wants is is what's going to happen. So if you have someone in that role that can communicate to Vince and know that it's something that uh, he's going to be on board with, uh, you know, rather than you you, get, you mentioned the uh, the Orange Cassidy thing, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. rather than arguing for hours and hours about the logistics of something. If you have somebody on, on staff that has worked with Vince McMahon for, you know, 30 plus years, I guess, Bruce, at this point, with you know, with some breaks in between. But, mm-hmm. 
you know, someone that knows what Vince is looking for, it's got to it's got to make things run a little bit more smoothly. Yeah, and you know, by the way, something I need to mention that isn't talked about enough at all. Um, you hear all these stories about Vince micromanaging, right? And he's always been kind of a micromanager. I mean, even going back a while, I remember the infamous story about him storming down during the Savage Flair title change. Yeah. That aired, and he's like, this match sucks. Restart it. <laughs> I mean, so it's not like, I mean, it does go back. There are instances of him being a crazed individual, you know, from the classic period. But, you know, I think it's kind of associated as like this modern thing with Vince where he's like this ridiculous micromanager and, oh, my God, why does creative take this long? And you even hear stories going back to the Attitude Era that it wasn't necessarily like that. Well, here's something you guys might be interested in. What was a big difference with Vince? And, you know, I'm sure maybe I'm not. I don't exactly have the dates right, but it's close enough. From like 98 to 03. What was a big difference with Vince? Um, like within WWE. Of, he was kind of a talent, on-screen talent? Yes. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, ding. And so because he was a talent and had to kind of work on that, he was less of a micromanager hmm. than he is now. That's something that you don't hear enough. When people are like, my God, why is Vince micromanaging everything to death? Well, he's not on TV anymore. He's not a talent, so he's got more time to micromanage. You know, especially, you go back to those 98 Raws. I mean, he was on multiple segments. Yeah. I mean, he didn't have time to be complaining about so-and-so's promo in hour two. It was like a mid-card guy. But I didn't even care. But I didn't even know what the guy said. <laughs> That's good. You know, there's a billion things more important. But one of the shames of the whole COVID-19 pandemic is that it killed the XFL which, you know, in an alternate reality, maybe uh, Vince's eye is more towards that than to what, you know, the WWE is doing. Did you guys read that story on ESPN.com? I saw people talking about it, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah, yeah it was it kind of connected the dots and it like it sort of like blamed uh, the downfall of the XFL or like at least tied it back to the firings of uh, Michelle Wilson and George Barrios. Wow. We talked about the show yeah. months ago. Yeah. Like how the stock collapsed and all of a sudden Vince wasn't in this great position and he didn't want to spend money on the XFL anymore. People should check it out. It was it was like the lead story on ESPN.com all day uh Tuesday, mm-hmm. I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean super unfortunate. I thought the, the XFL was quite a bit better this go around, but yeah. Yeah, I mean they made it seem that it was like, you know, it was doing like, you know, there were certain markets it was doing well. And I mean, TV ratings had dropped all five weeks, but they also, I guess, coming up had a lot better uh, TV visibility coming up. They, were, they, they had some pretty primo network spots. But anyway, yeah. Um, something else I wanted to mention in addition to that little tip of it is like a lot of people who have this maybe less than seller opinion of Heyman's creative in 2020, uh, for the record, those people are equally kind of unsold on a, a Paul Levesque, too. So there's some worry, like, right now. I mean, we always talk about this disconnect, don't we, between Vince and, like, NXT or Vince and Paul in these last two shows. So I think going back to Bruce, Bruce knows Vince well, and he knows what Vince will sign off on. 
I'm not saying it's going to be better, but it should be more consistent where we shouldn't have these random angles that are just dropped all the time. Right. At least that's what I think. That's my read on the situation. So this, this uh, I guess, a week ago now as the show airs, was the first Raw with Paul Heyman out, Bruce kind of back in charge. And it did the best television rating since the Raw after WrestleMania. It was also noted that the third hour, you know, there's always a third hour ratings drop. It's airing much later at night. It's to be expected. But it was a smaller third hour ratings drop. And so when we look at this, what could we attribute the fact that this show drew a better, you know, did such a good rating for the first time in, uh, God, I guess over two months. I think people are going to point to it was coming off of a pay-per-view, but we've had other Raws that were coming off of pay-per-views too. Um, Justin, any anything you could point to that would uh, attribute that rise in the Raw rating to? Well... As I mentioned last week, I, I rarely ever watch Raw live now. It's more about going back and, you know, what is buzzworthy. Uh, for me, I actually watched a lot of it live. And plain simple is because of the internet buzz of something unexpected was going to happen. Uh, and I was probably a little too optimistic about what that could be. Uh, but that that's why I tuned in live and I can't think of a single other reason than just the smart mark internet buzz of wanting to know what that was. You're, you are of course referring to the fact that something big was going to happen on raw. And, uh, as, as the day went on on Monday, we were told that a former world champion was going to be returning and ended up being Christian, uh, for top rope nation listeners on our backlash Review show on Sunday night, Kyle dropped the knowledge that something big was going to happen on Raw at the very end of that show. If you didn't hear it, you can hear in the archives. I believe that was the first reference to something big being planned for Raw. But you're certainly right, Justin. There there was this buzz online that you know it was going to be a show worth watching. So you add that in with the post-pay-per-view factor. I think I think that that plays into it certainly. Um, Kyle, what are your thoughts on this? Do you guys think they did a good job promoting the Christian Orton match? I think it was all right. Um, you know, you, when you got to the end of the show and there was very little time left, you knew it wasn't going to be anything major. But well, I, you knew it wasn't going to be a long match. Yeah. Match. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it was okay. I think I think that the way it was built up online, maybe it was a little disappointing to some people, but I, I don't know, I guess. I, I, I said that third hour didn't drop as much as usual, so people certainly stayed tuned in. I think the way the show was structured Monday was good. They started out with something... They kind of teased it, and then they built it and built it over the three hours. Remember, you, you talked about earlier, Ryan, Top Row Classics, how we did um, the April 98 Raw that broke the 83 weeks streak. Let's go back to that. Remember what they did? We talked about, and that was like an all-time hype job they did for Austin McMahon. Yeah. But it was kind of similar in the sense that they built something throughout the show, and they didn't really deliver like the match mm. at the end. So there is kind of 
you know, somewhat of an apples to apples comparison. And certainly this, what we saw Monday with Christian, Ric Flair, Randy Orton will never mean as much as what we saw uh, 22 years ago, but it kind of had that vibe. And if you've got this three hour show, which we talk about as an albatross, it doesn't necessarily have to be that every week, but the idea of kind of starting a tease for something at the very beginning of the show and building it up across the three hours is a good idea. In my opinion, I, I think if you're, if you're stuck with this three hour format and you can find the right thing, it's a good idea. And I thought the show moved faster to be honest with you. Um, I know some people, uh, whoever does the live raw report for F4W online was like not happy about the amount of in ring time, but there's an argument to be made that that's not what TV's all about. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if TV's all matches and it's long matches, what's the point of the pay-per-views? It's like watching a porn and all you get is just sex the entire time. We need a little bit of story. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Jesus. Love the stories. Love the stories. Didn't connect, see that one coming. Connect the dots. <laughs> I'm a story like guy. I often turn it off. I, I often turn it off right as the sex is getting going. I'm like, that was a good story. Oh, man. Off the rails. Build it up well. <laughs> <laughs> I can no longer direct this ship, ladies and gentlemen. We've completely <laughs> gone off the rails. The scotch is kicked in, boys. The sex, you see this all the time. I mean, that story, that was unique. That's what kept me going. (laughs) Well, let's talk about how the story was um, Randy Orton taking on Christian. One day after Randy Orton wrestled Edge in the so-called greatest wrestling match ever, we had Ric Flair get involved in what ended up not really being a match with the low blow. Um, This brings about another discussion point, and that is the age of the wrestlers involved in these big stories. So you look at Christian, 46 years old. Edge, 46 years old. Ric Flair, as we talked about on Thursday, 71 years old, traveling during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, The very next day, the news dropped that a (laughs) developmental talent had tested positive for COVID-19. Not good. Randy Orton, 40 years old. So the entire show (laughs) was built around a match between a 46-year-old and a 40-year-old. Um... Kyle, in our in our uh, group text, as we were talking about this a couple of days ago, you were very vocal about this being a major issue with the uh, current direction of WWE. Yeah, you know, I get it. They've got to use names that are familiar to people. I mean, this young talent isn't really over, so you got to go with something like what you know. But, man, we talked about this on Backlash. There's just a lot of people who... <laughs> You know, were featured again in this promotion. It's not like they were like in a different promotion. I mean, these three guys, Orton, Christian, and Flair, they would have featured prominently on Raw in 2005. That's 15 years ago. It's a very long time. And they're not working with younger talent. Like I, I, th- I see the value when you put an older wrestler in there with mm-hmm. a younger talent to elevate them. But when it's when it's strictly older talent working with older talent, that yeah, there's an issue there. You know what's crazy? And I looked this up to make sure I was uh, accurate. And you talked about our text thread, and, and I mentioned this to you guys. Christian at 46 years old right now is actually older, barely. Than both Hogan and Piper were for Age in the Cage. 
dude, when Hulk Hogan returned to WWF in 02 and wrestled The Rock and Mania, and then he had the uh, the brief run as champion in the spring of 02, and we 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 uh, talked about on Patreon, we reviewed Backlash 02. Hogan was 48 at that point in time. Yeah, believe it or not. So I mean, not that I mean, much he, old. He just, I, I guess he just Hogan was I mean, ancient at the time. Yeah, I mean, Christian does not look like Hulk Hogan did in a variety of ways at age 46. There's no, no but doubt that about might, that. That might surprise people, though. I mean, Hogan, everyone thought he was so ancient in 2002. He's 48 years old. Yeah. For the record, I love Christian. I think he's one of the most underrated performers in the history of the company. I actually kind of like him more than Edge as an all-around performer. Believe it or not, I don't think he was given the same opportunities. Um, it's funny, too, when you see these guys getting pushes like – I use I'm going to use the term after the fact. Okay, like Christian's a guy who I remember people were beating the drum for in 05. Remember that whole hullabaloo? Like he had been teasing the match with Cena a lot in, throughout 05, and Cena gets drafted raw, and Christian came right out, and you could feel some real heat there. Like the crowd was like looking forward to that. Yeah, but Vince didn't think Christian could draw in a title match on his own, so they added Jericho to the program. Yeah. And it's funny because that was like, you know, Vince like, oh, Jericho's a proven draw. Whereas like four years earlier, you know, he's like, oh, Jericho can't main event by himself against Austin. <laughs> and then like Christian, it's kind of the same thing, right? Like people are like, in 05, Christian's a guy, give Christian a shot. They don't give Christian a shot. Well, they kind of give him more of a shot. You know, I mean, he, he you know, he got a nice run in 2011, but that was still six years after the fact. And now it's 2020. It's funny how it kind of takes them. Um, and for people who, you know, criticize W's creative, I, I guess this is fodder for them. You know, people were like, dude, push this guy, push this guy. And they don't push him like when they should, but then they'll push him five, ten years after the fact. Yeah. So it kind of like illustrates that the people who are standing for this performer were maybe right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I th- I threw out in the, uh, you know, related to the age issue, I threw this out in our, our group text too, that, you know, back in the mid nineties, <laughs> WWE was running all of these commercials with the billionaire Ted stuff about how, you know, all the talent that had left and they'd gone to WCW at the time. And it was, they were ancient. They were walking around a walk walkers. We had the huckster and the nacho man, you know, they were what 42 at the time, 41, 42, right in that neighborhood. And, we're seeing we're seeing WWE relying on a lot of talent, even older than that at this point in time, and that that is concerning because they do need to elevate some of this younger talent. They, that's what they've struggled with. You know, you look at uh, post John Cena, who who's the name that's who's who's the next John Cena? They've tried for years with Roman Reigns, he hasn't really achieved that. And we're in this situation where we don't really have the the guy on top to kind of steer the ship, and that. That's a challenge, and so it's it's put them in this situation where they're relying on names from the past, and we saw that play out on Raw last week. For the record, it made sense to use Christian in that spot, especially with the edge injury. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if it if they had just thrown Johnny up and comer in that spot, maybe it doesn't make as much sense. You know, Christian, like you know, trying to avenge his friend's injury does make a lot of sense, but I think it's just this isn't the only time we talked about it on backlash, how many acts on that show had been kind of at or near their peak 10 or so years prior, 10 or so years ago within well, this company. Well, the entire show was called greatest match ever between a 46 and a 40 year old. So 
Yeah, yeah, again, yeah, like that. <laughs> I'm also very glad you brought up those billionaire Ted skits, believe it or not, because I don't think people understand how much letting Hogan, Savage, and Piper go when he did, and then them drawing big money for WCW still affects Vince McMahon's mindset today. He's like, he like, he views it, I gave up on those guys way too early, and it burned me. Mm-hmm. And now he, he he holds on to them way too long. Yeah. You, you really want to have your mind blown. When those started airing, Hulk Hogan, in the mid-90s, when they were airing those billionaire Ted skits, Hulk Hogan was younger than AJ Styles. AJ Styles is right now. Wow. How about that? <laughs> mind-blowing how the tables have shifted for sure so yeah and i mean i guess what we're gonna you presume you get a randy orton christian match out of it right because you tease this match for three hours and then deliver i mean i think you do that knowing you're going to do the match yeah proper down the line at some point so i mean that's an idea but i i don't think you know you talk about a company that wants to attract younger viewers. I don't know if, you know, that's going to do it. I kind of think it won't. It made sense. It was logical. Like I said, it's something Vince was probably very comfortable with. And uh, the way the show was laid out seemed to work at least for one week, but let's see, you know, one, two months from now, how these raw ratings are holding up. If, if they can continue to produce television, that, you know, holds people better for the three hours and does a decent rating, then, you know, Bruce, I guess, was a good option. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the last time Christian worked, you know, actual matches of some length versus what happened on Raw last week, March 2014. So, uh, yeah, you, you would think you're going to get Christian in action once again. So we'll see what happens over these next uh few weeks and even tonight as uh raw airs in just a few hours probably as you are listening to this broadcast i was very mad about christian not getting a one-on-one pay-per-view match with john cena in 2005 <laughs> by the way very upset justin you were a pretty big christian fan weren't you absolutely excellent theme song he had i gotta say christian <laughs> both, both of them many both of them, of them yeah oh yeah. my god yes remember christian's rap at Royal Rumble 2005. No. I do oh, it's one of the most tremendous things of all time. Like, he, I forget what he says, but, like, the best part of it, he looks at Tyson Tomko, and he's like, Tomko, give me a beat. And Tomko's like, no. <laughs> and, like, but then Christian does it anyway. And um, I don't know if it's, like, the first time he ever says the word peeps or not, but, like, I don't know. It always stuck in my head is when, like, peeps started being a thing. Yeah. It's funny. Like, if you, it, it's one of those drawing numbers um segments on that show if anyone wants to watch it it's um i really like that royal rumble by the way very yes. underrated royal rumble i've seen you rap before I've seen you. it doesn't impress me not one bit this whole freestyle rapping thing's not even that hard you got <laughs> whatever i could do that i could in fact i could beat you at a rap competition any day of the week any day all right homie let's show me some street cred show me what you got that's cool right now you said you can freestyle hit, hit a little something do, do what you gotta do taco give me a beat All right, forget it. It goes a little something like this. My name is Christian, the king of crook. I'm taking you to school, Cena, and you're gonna flunk. I'm Captain Charisma. I'm 
I'm Captain Charisma. Read him in weeks. I'm gonna throw you out for all my peace. And just like, just like Dracula comes from Transylvania, I'm winning the Rumble and going on to WrestleMania. <laughs> what do you think of that, baby boy? <laughs> Come on, beat that. I don't know if you guys saw, speaking of Royal Rumbles, I don't know if you saw last week's WWE backstage on FS1, but uh, you know, CM Punk was on there as a panelist. Bret Hart did a, a guest appearance. It was the second biggest rating the show has ever done. Uh, but there was an interesting story on that. Um, CM, Punk CM Punk revealed that 2008, he was supposed to win the Royal Rumble until John Cena came back and did the surprise appearance and you know, came back from his injury very quick that year. Apparently, that was slated for CM Punk to win that Rumble before Cena was able to perform. I found that really interesting. I hadn't ever heard that before. And, uh, you know, looking out at, at uh, how Punk's career played out just a few years after that, it, it'd be interesting to go back and kind of fantasy book what would have happened if CM Punk had won the 2008 Royal Rumble? Mm, had either of you guys ever well, heard that before? That, that could I really had. throw a wrench in Kyle's fantasy booking of WrestleMania 24. That's yeah, for sure. Or, Does he still or, have Orton go over as a monster? Orton still stands tall. That's just another guy to get an RKO <laughs> in 2008. Hey, let me tell you something. You wouldn't have to book Randy Orton like this in 2020 if you would have listened to me in 2008, man. <laughs> this guy's tiring Ric Flair. He's pinning people left and right clean. Three RKOs through his you know, it's interesting because uh, Jeff Hardy was supposed to win Money in the Bank that WrestleMania, and Punk wound up winning it. I wonder if that was kind of a bit of what when Hardy had his um, issues uh, with, with the dr failing a drug test. How timely, by the way, um, that we're having a discussion like that. I wonder if that was a bit of a mea culpa to CM Punk for not getting Could to win be. the Rumble. Yeah, it makes sense. So, Yeah. Well, I guess with that said, um, that's pretty much everything we wanted to hit on this broadcast. On Thursday, I know, we're planning on talking a little bit about The Undertaker. We haven't done any uh, classic wrestling discussion in the last two shows. So on Thursday, we're going to be talking about The Undertaker, you know, The Last Ride, which wrapped up yesterday, and uh, doing a little bit of a retrospective on uh, the career of Mr. Mark Calloway. So make sure you check your podcast feeds on thursday morning for that as i mentioned at the top of the broadcast leave us that rating on apple Podcasts. leave us a written review if you want the sticker in the mail and check out patreon we're gonna have that show dropping this week looking back at king of the ring 93 so follow us on twitter at top rope nation you can find us on instagram same username we're also on facebook and you can find me at ryan drosty where can they find you kyle at trp kyle where can they find you, Justin? Well, first off, before I give them that uh, important information, I just want to throw out there, uh, you, you buried the lead a little bit with that Undertaker because we might be doing our second edition uh, of greatest matches for an individual draft. Another draft, baby. It's coming back. So, <laughs> oh, so, the yeah. Ric Flair draft. So, Same thing. If you're listening, get your uh, your big boards ready so we can decide on uh, who gets this ish right. That's right. Hey, having said that, uh, at Justin Joint. 
<laughs> the trademark. There we go. Yeah, it, it's going to be an Undertaker draft on Thursday. We're going to be drafting the Undertaker's best matches, just like we did on Ric Flair a couple of weeks ago. Check that one out in the archives if you didn't hear I it. I understand but... he's in favor of having a draft, by the way. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh. By the way, who I don't know who won that Ric Flair draft, but if you guys have thoughts, let us know. TopRopeNation at gmail.com. Also, we're going to be starting a mailbag segment pretty soon. So if you got something you want us to talk about on the show, or if you have a question, send us an email. TopRopeNation at gmail.com. would love to get your uh, thoughts and questions on the air. You know. So with that said, this has been episode 152 of Top Rope Nation. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Have a good week. Peace. If you close your eyes.